0: that's better. It's lovely to see you all. A very warm welcome. Um, you can see we have quite a sort of big team up here. Um, it's very lovely. Um, you'll have to get used to the range of accents again <laughs> that we have because they're quite varied. We, as well as our two dear American friends, we Happen to have Spain, New Zealand, and some sort of hybrid myself um, just to introduce uh, those that you don 't know this is walt we 're very happy to welcome Walt um, Narayan, probably most of you know I, in theory, you all know me Ya <laughs> uh, 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 of course, most of you will know and Bernard. Uh, very warm welcome so before we begin, I think Walt and Bernat are just going to say something about who you are. There's a lapel one there. Hi.
1: Hello. Hello. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Okay.
2: Okay. okay, can you hear me? Oh, yes. Um, so, I'm Bernat. I'm coming from Spain. And I'm really, really happy to be here. I feel very honored for this opportunity. It's my first time at IMS. So, it's a lot of new things. Um, and I'm really grateful to, to Christina for for inviting me here to to assist uh, in this retreat. Um, Christina, alongside with the other faculty at Body College, are training a group of us to become Dharma teachers. And I feel really honored uh, to be part of that. Um, also, thank you to to Yana and. Ryan and Walt for, the, for me, uh, welcoming me here and also just in anticipation for everything I'm going to learn. So, <laughs> um, so really looking forward to, to sharing this week with you and everything that I'm going to learn from you and everything that I hope I can contribute.
1: Um, i'm Walt Opie happy to be here. Uh, thank you for having me on the team as well and I look forward to learning a lot as with this uh, teaching team of very esteemed uh, teachers who've been doing this for a long time I know <laughs> uh, so i'm in the i m s teacher training right now we 're about halfway through roughly and uh I live in Berkeley, California. Let's see. I do a lot of work with people in recovery and people in prison. So uh, nice that we don't have guards here. Uh, or anything. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, and it's very humbling to be up here on the stage at IMS, basically, because I have a lot of reverence for this institution, for lack of a better term, or this wonderful place. Uh, So I'm just very happy to be here. Thank you.
0: Okay, so we won't keep you overly long tonight. I always feel the opening night of a retreat is a little bit of a strange phenomenon because I know so many of you arrive kind of life-tired, travel-tired, you know, and you end up here and you get this deluge of information. And I could almost imagine if we asked you in the morning, you know, what did you hear last night? You go, I know they said something about it. You know. So we'll try and keep it a little bit brief <laughs> as best we can. So I want to give you just a, a little bit of an introduction to the, this time together. You know, retreats are, I think, such important times, such treasured times. You know, these times of being able to stop that become so increasingly rare in our world, which, you know, doesn't honor, it seems, stillness that much. Whereas, you know, here in this pathway, we place such a high value on learning to still and to calm and to listen and to be aware of where we are. I also just want to honor the reality that actually we, we co-create this retreat. You know, we're all in our own ways contributing to the formation and and how a retreat unfolds. And even though we're in silence, we're also in community. And as a community together, we're, we share, we have so many different stories, but I... I think we meet in sharing the story of our own passion for understanding and our passion for more wakefulness. So, before we even launch into the retreat this evening, I'd like you just to take a moment and acknowledge the person on either side of you, the person behind you. In you know, a Thank you. I I think it's just so important to, you know, as we go into silence, where we are still really, you know, crossing paths with so many others. And, you know, the person on either side of you, they're your your sitting partners for these next days, the person behind you, and, you know, the ways that we support each other and contribute to each other's journey. I applaud you for getting here. I actually know how hard that is for so many, how many arrangements have to be made in life just to carve out this week. And, you know, there's probably other people in your life who've also really contributed to you being able to be here. You know, I think, you know, in my life, you know, who's watering the plants, you know, who's watering the garden, you know, who's taking out the garbage, you know, who's... Who's doing the myriad things that actually make a life run? And so many of us, we have people at home who are doing all those things and more. So really recognizing as we practice here, we, we don't just practice for ourselves. We We also practice in appreciation of all of those in our present and our past who have truly supported us. <coughs> One of the first stories that we teaching stories that we inherit about the life of the buddha is, is actually a story of renunciation where this young man found himself coming to face to face with you know some very core existential human dilemmas of aging and sickness and death the, the universal vulnerabilities that are part of all of our lives and decided to leave the comfort and the familiarity of his life and to embark on a journey of of seeking for meaning, seeking for freedom, seeking for something enduring. And yet he, like all of us, never really knowing the outcomes, knowing that this pathway doesn't come with a guarantee certificate, and I think that that turning point for the Buddha points to a, a, what I think of as a quality of a, a, almost a positive discontent, a, a, a wholesome desire. And we might recognize that as being part of our own being here. We come here on retreat. It's not a rejection of life. It's not a rejection of the world we are all part of. It is an exploration of what it means to live in this world where we're not just surviving or enduring to recognize and appreciate that we all have we all have lives before we come on retreat we have lives we return to that are meaningful relational lives work lives family lives but also recognize in the possibility of discovering an inner peace and an inner freedom that's not dependent upon a world of conditions that is so innately unreliable and uncertain. Renunciation is such a big word, isn't it? We sort of imagine some kind of dramatic act, you know, or some big act of willpower. But already you've engaged in so many acts of renunciation just in coming here, in your willingness to let go of the familiar, to to yield into a level of uncertainty where you don't know the outcomes. You let go of, many ways, we we let go of control when we come into a retreat. You know, many people, it would be hard to explain to many people what it's like to live a life that's governed by a bell. (laughs) You know, usually our lives are governed by our likes and our dislikes and our moods and our wants. And here yielding, into this environment where, you know, we, we surrender that control and we surrender so many of our, our distractions. Coming here, I think it is, it's an inner, I think of it as a, almost an, an act of inner renunciation, not just of outer forms of control, but that willingness what it, to see what it's like to step out of our habits because renunciation for me is not its not deprivation. It's about learning how to travel more lightly in this life. You know, and one of my first teachers said to me that renunciation is the greatest act of kindness and compassion that you could offer to yourself. Because think of the opposite, that we know too well what it's like to contract, what it's like to cling, what it's like to hold on to, and the kind of burden of that. It's about learning to travel more lightly in this life. And I think this is an inner exploration for us. And, you know, I think always uh, one of the most helpful questions to ask of ourselves as we begin a retreat is to, to really consider what is essential and what is inessential. And to find the willingness to put down the inessential. And that's a lot. You know, that's actually a lot of our habits. You know, our busyness. You know, our constant need to be doing. You know, our need to be someone. You know, our obsessions. You know, our ruminations. You know, our fantasies. Our leaning forward. There would be so much that is inessential and to learn the kindness that we learn in this practice about what it's like to actually put much of that down. But that takes our willingness, takes our willingness. You know, it's so easy to transfer the habits of our lifetime directly into a retreat, you know. And there's a few things I would suggest to really make this time as easeful as possible. Let go of urgency. You know, I think sometimes for many people, and they they only get the opportunity maybe to sit a retreat once a year, you know, there can be this sense of urgency, you know. I've got to get the most out of this, you know. I've got to squeeze every last drop of insight out of this, you know. So that often leads to a kind of over-earnestness, A kind of over-earnestness. I'm not encouraging you to be sloppy, you know, and just, you know, stay in bed. But uh, let let go of the urgency. Uh, Allow things to unfold. It's very helpful and very kind to let go of projects. You know, we, we live in a culture where we're so centered around work ethics and producing and, you know, solving things and fixing things that it's so easy to, to put a project into the suitcase while we're packing, you know. This retreat, I'm gonna work on my anger. That, that's it, you know. This retreat, I'm gonna work on my greed, you know, or you know, this retreat, I'm gonna work on my sense of shame. You know. And and already we have a project that in a way doesn't allow us to be surprised. Doesn't allow us to really listen to to what arises and what arrives for us. So if you could do that and just have a sense of not knowing, you know, and, and not needing to have a project and not needing to have an outcome at the end of the retreat, you know, that you've made every important life decision, you know, and, you know, you've sorted out your family issues and, you know, you know exactly what you're doing with the next 10 years, you know, and wh- whatever your project might, just let it go. Another thing that's really helpful to let go of are parallel schedules. Parallel schedules will keep you busy. If you don't know what a parallel schedule is, it means that you look at the schedule on the notice board and you say, well, that looks very fine for them. You know, but it hasn't factored in my coffee break you know or or you know my walk in the woods or you know my visit to b c b s or you know all of these other things that I've got to fit into the day you know, so I've, I've got to rearrange things to kind of make it work for me. Just yield, you know it's so simple, isn't it just just to sit, just to walk, just to show up for the moment, all that we're ever letting go of is what doesn't serve us well. You know what doesn't serve us well. So I really encourage you know, to just simplify, simplify. In the busiest play- times of our lives, I think we dream of being in a place like this. But the human mind is so perverse, you know? And we end up in the place we dream of, and we're dreaming about getting out. You know? But think of this... of the gift that this is to offer to yourself. You know, how rare it is in our life. We can can shed so many layers and just be here, alive, wakeful, really endeavoring to understand what it is to be a thriving, creative, awake human being. And cultivate the essential, the capacities that we have for spaciousness, for calm, for attunement, for listening, for sensitivity, for compassion, for understanding. Let's remember really what brings greatest meaning to a human life. Hmm? And this is what is essential in the realm of the essential for us. So turn over to
3: I would like to add my very warm welcome to you all. Um, it always uh, feels like a real privilege to be here at IMS and uh, feeling in this particular retreat the sense of a a group of practitioners who are sort of established in the path. And uh, not coming here, sort of checking out to see if, although maybe for one or two, but I'm imagining for most of you, this is no longer the the, p- the part of the journey in which one sort of I'm just sort of wondering whether this might be a good idea. <laughs> but uh, I've actually, made some degree of commitment or have some sense of engagement with a path and a practice that you recognise as truly wholesome, as truly beneficial. And uh, it was just interesting as we were given the list of people who were going to be here and uh, looking through for myself, seeing many familiar names. And here in the room, seeing many familiar faces. And also we uh, were noticing that uh, the, we were given the information as to um, how many days people have been practicing here. And it was, it was, again, it was really inspiring to see how many people here have, have spent a lot of time practicing. And so... In some ways, this kind of introduction of the opening evening is a little bit, maybe less necessary than when I'm sort of sitting here thinking, hmm, some people, it's the first time, or you know, maybe they're wondering, is this a good idea? And of course, there's, there can be that moment when we come on a retreat having thought it was a good idea, knowing <laughs> it's a good idea, and still something in a suddenly runs oh, actually it's for real, because there are challenges. It's not always easy to do what we do here, even if we're committed to it, even if we love this path and this practice, this teaching. And it asks something from us in terms of our own sense of care, our own sense of love, our own sense of being in touch with what we what we value, what, what gives meaning, what gives value in our lives. And, uh, as Christina was saying, that sense of for me that the sense of practicing that we're not just doing this for ourselves. That the process of inner learning, growth, development, and transformation, is really part of a a collective journey, of transformation, of awakening. That as a human community, we are called to be part of, and that we, I think, need very much to be engaged in, and our world and. Uh, the greater community of humanity really needs that uh, individual commitment that we each find and bring in a retreat such as this to our own greater possibility and potential. And so one of the elements in this that I'd like to speak about a little is what it means to turn towards our own experience, to come into this kind of curious relationship with solitude and turning in to our experience without turning away from our life, from the world and from the fact that we are deeply and intimately connected with everyone and everything around us. That We are touched and affected by and we touch and affect this world and our neighbors equally. So For me, what it means to to come into the solitude of retreat is the sense of recognizing that within the very stream of consciousness and the very process of life that we are most intimate with, that we can be most intimate with, there is a possibility of discovering something universal that connects and, in a way, reveals our connection with everything else. And so the feature of this retreat and retreats such as this at IMS at other times and everywhere where we we, we have such retreats of, of being in silence. It's kind of interesting just to take a moment and remember that probably the first time we did that it was a bit strange. A bit like, what? Why? You know, can I? and And actually not take it too casually in the sense of Recognizing the potency of this particular element of the container. Silence is something that has been understood and employed in many different spiritual traditions, not just the Buddha Dharma, as something that has the capacity to facilitate and support a deepening of the heart and the mind, and opening more fully and consciously into our greater potential, our greater possibility. And so, although in one sense it's a a renunciative act to enter into silence, to let go of speaking, in another way it's also a turning towards. Turning towards that deeper, we could say quieter, stiller, current that flows within us as human beings. That is accessible or more accessible perhaps when we make some space from the, the words and the busyness with which we engage with language, with communication and with information. Language that tends to kind of keep us focused in a sort of a, a looking at things and thinking about things as opposed to being intimate with them, with our experience. And the communication in which, through speaking, of course, many wonderful things come, and it's there's going to be plenty of speaking here, even within the silence. For starters, will be speaking, as you know well, and there will be also opportunities for for speaking in small group and individual interviews. So it's not that there's something that we are rejecting about speech, but the the realm of engaging in communication, whereby we're often trying to somehow establish or prop up a particular sense of who I am or who I am not. And that in the silence we have an opportunity to really both know ourselves, but equally know each other and know what it is to be together without needing the stories, without needing the labels, without needing the the kind of the constant process of reassurance that is build into our our normal mode of communication where we're kind of basically saying, you know, I'm okay, are you okay, are you okay, am I okay? You know, do you like me, do you not like me? Do I like you, do I not like you? And that whole thing that actually there's something about just taking a shared baseline of our humanity. And it's like, oh, amongst a group of people who are interested to do what we're doing here, we can kind of trust that basic level of goodness and that basic level of care that allows us then to not have to check out and not have to to check out each other and also not have to feel like we're being checked out by everybody else. So in that sense, putting that kind of anxiety around presenting ourselves down is one of the great gifts of the silence. To allow something else to shine through of what it is that we are. That we might ourselves see it in each other, but equally in ourself. And sometimes that's a little harder for us to see. And so, so for me, that sense of silence is really a precious gift to give to ourselves, to give to each other. To understand in that, of course, that we're not suggesting or pretending that we aren't intimately in relationship and in contact at the same time with each other as we are seeking to be intimately in relationship and in contact with ourselves. And so it's not as if we have to somehow keep our eyes focused on the ground in front of us and not look around just in case we might have a response or a feeling or a thought. Um, But to actually notice that sometimes we might be drawn to be looking and we're kind of hungry a little bit, sort of looking for someone to smile at me to make me feel okay. And that's not so helpful, but nor is it to Particularly helpful to think that somehow it's not okay to notice or be noticed by our fellow retreatants, our companions on this journey. And so if it should be that you are looking around, or not so much looking around, but you're looking with your eyes are open and you see someone, it's okay. If they see you too, it's okay. If they smile, it's okay. If they don't smile, it's okay. So we're not setting up a set of rules here about how you must or must not be, but really inviting, and one of the elements of the science is inviting ourselves to notice, where am I coming from? What am I in touch with as I meet the world, as I meet the people around me, or don't meet them in the kind of normal sense, but just allow them to be and to do what they are doing. And equally allow myself to be and to do what I am doing. Again, there's a real gift in this. Just allowing ourselves to be. To be seen, to be not seen. And so so with that, there's there's an interesting balance to be found between that orientation towards inner and outer. And I think in the, in the day-to-day world, we find ourselves very much drawn outwardly. In the meditative world, we're very invited to turn inwardly. And yet ultimately, in this practice, we may come to see and understand that that whole separation of inner and outer has no absolute reality to it. And so the silence is a field, is a framework in which... We can explore that, and so with the silence. Just to say also with that, that it 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 includes also not engaging in um, in the world of words and language in a way, putting that all down. So, with regard to reading and writing, the invitation and encouragement is to let it go. And sometimes after we've done this a few times, we start to think, "Oh, yeah, it's okay. I can do a bit of that. It'll be all right." Because it's sort of like the world isn't going to end if I if I start keeping notes on what's going on. And yet, what I've really noticed in my own practice is that when I start trying to keep notes of what's happening, it somehow stops the deepening and the unfoldment of insight and understanding very easily. Because there's a tendency to kind of keep hold of where I've got to. If it's just a note that's something that touched you, that arose in your own heart or mind or that you heard in the teaching or saw outside then it can be okay to just put a few words on paper but for most of us I find I really wish to give the strong encouragement to say actually we don't need to do that we don't need to do that and uh Although it's actually really useful to read the notice board, you know, once or twice a day and see if there's any notices. As far as reading goes on, that, that's probably enough. And uh, <laughs> sort of doing it after every single sitting and walking might be, you know, moving towards the excessive in regard to that. And the, the other element that goes with this that's... Um, Quite an interesting and perhaps challenging realm for many of us is our relationship to our phones and other devices we may have with us. And of course, when these retreats were first established, you know there wasn't a question about bringing your phone because you know there weren't sort of cables long enough to bring your phone from home. <laughs> um, now it's such a normal thing. We all have one. Some people have two, I see. And uh, in fact, I have three. It turns out when I ask myself the question. Two of them I don't use very often, but. Uh, and our invitation here to you is to let them go. We can be so bonded and connected, and it seems dependent upon the many wonderful things they bring. And often they can be great servants for us, great tools. But they can also become the subject of a degree of dependence and possibly even addiction. And so, as I, when I was saying, we're. When we started retreats, if phones had existed, They would; have, the rule would have been just don't bring them anywhere near here from the beginning. But because it kind of grew slowly, it kind of happened that suddenly they were here. And then we had to think, well, what do we do? So, okay, they come here. Let's turn them off. Leave them alone. And there will be an opportunity tomorrow morning at the... Uh, 8.15 sitting, for those who wish, and we'd really encourage you to, this isn't a, a rule or a must, but to actually give them up. Let them go. And there's this kind of moment when we let something go, which is, oh, I don't want to, and then, Phew, wow, it's really great when I have. And um, so... this is a kind of democratic situation. Nobody is telling you what you must or must not do and most of what we actually frame here it's kind of an invitation of what serves and what works. And yet within that kind of invitation because it's not like we're going to check through your bags I, I heard about a place where they required you to hand in your cell phone and you couldn't do the retreat unless you actually handed it in. And so I thought, that's a bit of a problem if you don't have one. You have to go and buy a cell phone you can hand it in. you know. And and then I heard that, oh, so people just brought two and they handed one in and kept the other one.
0: <laughs>
3: so, in a way, those kind of, you know, it, it doesn't work if you try and do it like that. But what will really serve you is letting go of that engagement and making it simple so it's not something you have to return to. And... Uh, many people have have found over the years how how useful it is to completely let go of the phone. So tomorrow morning there will be an opportunity to do that and we'll we'll explain how that will happen but there will be an envelope that you can put your phone in when you come in tomorrow morning for the 8.15 sitting a plastic envelope. Probably you're all familiar with them. Um, And if not this is your opportunity to get familiar with them. So I think I'll just uh, want to conclude with expressing my wish for this time that we have together, that this time be for for your deep well-being. All of you, of us, of everyone here, that this time really serve what it is we most care about and value, and that what we engage in here also truly contribute to the well-being of our world and all of life that we share this world with. And I look forward to journeying with you and meeting with you along the way. Thank you.
4: I sat a retreat in Taiwan where you couldn't sit it if you didn't hand in your phone. And I tried to plead, you know, my phone did not work in Taiwan, but I was not allowed to sit the retreat until I conjured up a phone. So it does happen. (laughs) (laughs) I first just wanted to say how pleased I am to, to be here and to be offering this retreat with Christina, and with Yanai, and with Burnett, and Walt. Um, it's wonderful to have new teachers coming up, and I I appreciate them a lot. Um, there's a sensitivity and empathy and humility that I've actually sensed from both, and I just met both of them uh, a little bit earlier today. So the Dharma is in good shape. <laughs> And I wanted to introduce Louise, who um, is offering the movement, the yoga, and some some sittings, practice leading at times as well. And many of you know him because he has offered um, movement and yoga, particularly on this retreat in the summer. So I really love um, a retreat in which it's experienced practitioners. You know, it's wonderful, new people, because there's a kind of freshness and, hmm? I'm sorry, what, can you not hear me? Ah, okay, my ongoing problem, which you know really well. Okay, shall I try again? Can you hear me in the back? Can you hear me, Linda? Yeah, okay, so. I appreciate that this is an experienced practitioner's retreat. I was saying that I love beginners, of course, and we talk about beginner's mind, but for beginners, beginner's mind is really hard. (laughs) Because people come to meditation with so many concepts and ideas, and um, even more so these days than it used to be. So it's really hard to pull off beginner's mind. But for experienced practitioners, um, there is more of a capacity to drop into what Christina was talking about, not knowing. You know, there is a greater capacity to be fresh and to be open-hearted, come what may. To be open-hearted when things are really lovely and delightful and um, beautiful, and to be open-hearted when it hurts. I think that that's the key. You know, to stay, to sustain open-heartedness whether things are good or whether we don't like them. And that's really where our practice can deepen and grow and expand. And we can know the freedom that the Buddha spoke about. To delight when it's delightful, and not to push that away and think we shouldn't. And at the same time, to sustain open-heartedness and inner balance as much as we're able to when we do come up against the unpleasant or the difficult. I wanted to also just say that we at IMS, the board and the staff and teachers, guiding teachers, um, we've been engaged for about 10 years now In diversity, inclusivity, anti-racism efforts. And it's an ongoing process that we're committed to, we're dedicated to, and we all contribute to this. So just to just to offer um, the warmest welcome possible, that everyone is welcome here. Whatever one's background or gender or sexuality or race or Wherever your people have come from, everyone belongs here. And also to say, if there's something that that you rub up against because you don't feel that you belong, we're in the process of learning. So to to let us know, you know, not to not to be silenced, but to let us know. Another aspect of this being. Uh, experienced practitioners retreat is already in the hall it feels a little bit more relaxed than is usual you know a little bit more warmth a little bit more more capacity to to laugh um to to find the humor in this odd endeavor of being human that we're engaged in and you know a retreat a contemplative life we're being human and we're not so much engaged in in doing or becoming. And that can be a little bit odd in and of itself, to live within this kind of relaxed silence and at the same time to be impeccable (coughs) with our efforts in the practice. It's really the difference between intentionality and getting caught in agendas and expectations. And I think this is a real key to the practice going smoothly even when it's bumpy is to look at the difference between a clear sense of dedication, which is really essential for any path that we're on and is certainly essential for the path of awakening, a sense and coming back to this sense of knowing why we're here, why we signed up for this retreat again. Everyone has practiced before, so why are we here again? You know? And to come back to this sense of aspiration and intentionality as much as we need to. Everyone's intention might be slightly different. You know, your intention might be to to surrender or to learn or to deepen in loving kindness and compassion to see everything that happens here as your practice, as the practice itself. That might be your intention. You know, everybody's intention, I, I would hope, I think, is to awaken out of delusion and confusion and illusion and everything that holds us back and has a grip on the heart in an unwholesome, unhealthy way to move out of that. But then each one of us has our own individual take on it as well. And it's really helpful to to sense your way in the beginning of a retreat because it sets a tone for the rest of the retreat to get a sense of, of why you're here and what is most important to you. Now that's really different than what Christina was talking about, project mind, and trying to attain or get somewhere or get somewhere further than somebody else or you know, competitive mind or comparing mind, having a set of expectations and agendas that you want to accomplish that 's really quite different than intentionality and of course, at some point we see our expectations that have not um, that have not been attained when we feel disappointed or we feel anxious or we feel um, a lack of contentment, it it comes in a variety of ways. And we see, ah, I had an expectation that I didn't know I had. Wonderful, wonderful. It's not to be free from expectations. It's to see if you can recognize them. And then to see the difference between intentionality and a list of, of things that should happen. Whenever we have this list of things that should happen, life becomes quite frozen and quite dry. And we're not open to life as it is because we're living in our heads. We're living in the narrative instead of in life itself. We begin retreats, of course, always taking and taking refuge, taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And we begin retreats by particularly abiding and committing to the um, precepts, to the five precepts. I have the list of the precepts that um, Thich Nhat Hanh offers that I, I like most in terms of the different Um, translations or ways of looking at the precepts. So what I'd like to ask of you is, as I read each precept, to see if you can listen very deeply and inwardly commit to the precept. You know, and as you know, sometimes you hear a precept and you think, I got it down, and I don't need to hear that, and that's going to be a breeze. And then another precept you feel like you're coming up against a little bit of an edge, and even though it's hard to get, harder to get ourselves in trouble in this silent environment, we are capable of a lot. <laughs> so to not hear this is something that you already have down. You know, To see if you can be open-hearted while listening to the precepts and then doing your best to take it in as deeply as you possibly can, each one. So the first one, and I I love the way Thich Nhat Hanh puts this, knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, because this is a way to live in harmony with one another. You know, the precepts help ourselves and the precepts help um, those around us as well. So knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to protect all forms of life, even very small forms of life. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to only take what is offered to me. It's a very deep and beautiful aspiration. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to protect relationships and to be celibate during this retreat. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to honor noble silence and, when I speak, to speak the truth with kindness. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment not to harm myself or others with alcohol or drugs. And of course, I hope everyone in this room knows that if you're taking prescribed medications to continue to take that which has been prescribed to you. Let it sink into the heart, these five Ways of living together during this week. Let it penetrate. Okay, thank you. So we're going to have just a really short sitting and if you wanna stand and just take a little stretch before that, please do. Okay. So settling in. This first sitting in this particular way of the retreat. Sitting with relaxation and a sense of intentionality. Present, relaxing the body, relaxing the mind, not doing anything in particular, simply experiencing the breath, the body. breath-body experience. And we'll just be quiet together for the next eight or nine minutes. Ring the bell in a moment. but Before then, just to read you a short poem by Wendell Berry called What We Need Is Here. Geese appear high over us, pass, and the sky closes. Abandon, as in love or sleep, holds them to their way. Clear in ancient faith. What we need is here. And we pray, not for new earth or heaven, but to be quiet in heart and in eye clear. What we need, it's here. May all beings benefit. From our practice this week, may we ourselves find ease of mind, comfort of heart. May all beings awaken, each in their own way. The retreat has begun. Um, moving into silence, finishing up anything you need to do, and um, and really beginning your first retreat ever. Okay, sleep well tonight.
3: Thank you for listening.